The name of our podcast, Techsequences, is really a mashup of two words, technology and consequences. We are fascinated by the consequences, intended or unintended, of the internet and related technologies for the way we live, play, and work. We are your hosts, Leslie Daigle and Alexa Rod. We started our careers at the dawn of the internet and have been friends, colleagues, and comrades in arms for the better part of 20 years. In this podcast, we examine the impact internet-related technologies have made or may make in our lives. I'm Alexa Rod. And I'm Leslie Daigle. Welcome to Tech Sequences. The use of computers in cars dates back to 1968, when Volkswagen introduced the first consumer vehicle available with an onboard computer, a transistorized electronically controlled fuel injection system. The next year, in 1969, Ford introduced their first computer-controlled anti-skid system. But it wasn't until 1996 when General Motors introduced the first connected car feature called OnStar to the market. Since then, the car market has seen a deluge of internet-connected features fostering a revolution in automobile design and functionality. Today's automobiles are capable of monitoring and recording all kinds of data, internally as well as externally. As a result, cars are quickly becoming a growing segment of the Internet of Things ecosystem. Just consider that today there are over a billion cars in use worldwide. It is projected that by 2025, there will be over 400 million connected cars in operation, or almost double that number in 2021. The increased number of Internet-enabled cars afford us luxuries deemed unattainable a few decades ago. We can now navigate roads in a way to avoid traffic jams, diagnose problems, and often fix glitches with a software upgrade, personalize our driving experience and entertainment, and much more. The connected car technology makes possible carpooling and car hailing services such as Uber. This is not your father's Oldsmobile, an Oldsmobile ad claimed in 1988. That ad now seems quaint in its unabashed declaration of modernity. Today, you can rightfully claim that automobiles are less mechanical devices and more internet-enabled computers on wheels. However, the advances in feature and functionality has obscured the ramifications on consumer privacy. Today's cars are massive personal information collection engines, stockpiling information about you from the use of the car, the car's app, as well as third-party services such as SiriusXM or Google Maps. The data collected is not just the miles you drive or where you live, but can also include your genetic information, your mood, your weight fluctuations, as well as inferences about your sex life. And by the way, most share or sell your data, all with little to no transparency or accountability to the users. So how did this come about? Are there some manufacturers better than others? Should we accept these costs as the unavoidable cost of convenience? And if not, then what recourse do we have? Our guest today is Zoe McDonald. Zoe is a content creator for the Privacy Not Included Buyer's Guide at the Mozilla Foundation. The Mozilla Foundation is an American nonprofit organization that exists to promote openness, innovation, and participation on the internet and collectively lead the open source Mozilla project. The Mozilla Foundation is guided by the Mozilla Manifesto, which lists 10 principles which Mozilla believes are critical for the internet to continue to benefit the public good, as well as commercial aspects of life. 
Privacy Not Included is a buyer's guide produced by the Mozilla Foundation. It evaluates the privacy and security of connected toys, gadgets, and smart home products, including connected automobiles. Welcome, Zoe. Hello. Thank you for having me. Can you talk a little bit more about the Privacy Not Included buyer's guide? I mean, I've just described it in the official brochure, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Privacy Not Included was founded in 2017 by self-professed privacy nerd, Jen Kaltreiter, um, at the Mozilla Foundation. And basically, it was born out of two things. One, the fact that there was a growing awareness that we have more and more products that are connected to the internet. Um, And B, or two, I guess, that um, consumers don't really have access to the information that they need about those products in order to be able to make smart shopping decisions. Um, I mean, the fact that no one reads the privacy policies of the products that we use is kind of like the oldest joke on the internet, but it's also a very serious problem that that super important information is buried away in a dusty, complicated, difficult to read document that, um, that again, no one really gets to see or gets to see the light of day at all. I guess it's also pretty clear that it's, it's you know, there are things that your, your devices are collecting about you that you, it would never occur to you is actually potentially a leak of, of private information. A hundred percent, yes. Because I think when people think about the data that is collected from them, from the products that they use, they tend to think more about um, input data. So like whatever information that you happen to feed or give the app uh, or, or, or otherwise the product, but there are so many ways for um, apps and products to collect data and information about you, you know, including from third parties, which is a completely invisible process. Like you wouldn't even know that they would have access to that or how or when or what information, unless you're, you're combing the lines of the privacy policy. And, and honestly, even then, Um, there are so many open questions about what's being collected, how, why, when. So talk about how this research was conducted. Why did you guys were interested in cars and what kinds of brands and cars were included in this um, survey? Yeah, I think the reason that we were interested in cars, I mean, actually, we did get a, a reader tip about cars, someone kind of tipped us off to like, hey, cars might be super creepy. Uh, But also generally, uh, we got to thinking about cars because, you know, car makers, car manufacturers have been bragging about how sophisticated cars are these days, you know, cars are computers on wheels, they've been saying for a number of years, but we noticed that the concern that we usually, you know, socially um, attach to connected devices and devices being connected to the internet or sophisticated computer devices in regards to our own, own privacy, it seemed like that same scrutiny for whatever reason wasn't really being attached to cars. It was almost like, hey, cars might be really creepy and they also, for some reason, might be getting away with it. Like we're just not really targeting them with that level of uh, criticism. And what kind of brands uh, did you guys cover? We wanted the guide to be as useful as possible to as many uh, people as possible. So we basically did our best to choose the 25 most popular, uh, you know, most widely driven um, car brands. 
in retrospect, we have had a couple of car brands that people have said like, oh, I wish you would have done uh, this one or that one. Like specifically, we got hundreds of requests for um, Mazda and for Volvo. So if we had to do it again, we may have added those, but uh, we are also just a very small team. And even with what we had, we had our plates uh, fuller than we than we imagined with this research. I can well imagine trying to you know, analyze 25 different companies is is quite a bit of work. But going back to something that you alluded to, um, for years, debates have raged about the collection and use of personal data while using social media and websites. I mean, like all the same questions about what are they actually collecting and what are they doing with it apply there. Um, and, and yet, from what you're describing, it sounds like car companies don't or don't feel that they have to even think about those types of of situations or privacy laws any thoughts on on sort of where that disconnect comes from or if there's any possibility of sort of <laughs> is this the wake up call to start addressing that the car companies were interesting because they it did not seem like they were writing their privacy policies from the perspective of privacy for example. Um, that's a weird thing to say, but it just seemed like privacy as an issue was totally irrelevant to these documents, except for, um, you know, there were a handful of car companies like Tesla was one where they seemed to take, uh, they seemed to take care to at least indicate in their privacy policy that they actually deeply care about privacy, which does reflect Tesla's more kind of tech company perspective. Um, as for the car companies themselves, I think it might just be because they're kind of new, I think, to the this like mass data collection game, whereas, you know, social media and apps, they are very aware that there is a huge awareness of what they're doing with your data. So they're maybe a bit more careful about they, how they communicate um, what they're up to. So let's talk about what kind of data they collect. I mentioned a couple of them, and some of them were really surprising. You know, your weight fluctuations, um, your mood. Talk a little bit about the kind of data that they collect. And it seems like some of the data that they collect, they don't really necessarily need for the functionality of the car. So what were some of the data that you saw they were collecting that were perhaps superfluous? The car companies, in my opinion, in our opinion at Privacy Not Included, basically take a data maximization approach. So it really seems like they collect all the data that they can get away with. And that's that's a lot. Um, so the, the two categories of data that I think are probably the creepiest or that we you know focused on the most would be um, data about you and then data about what you do in your car. So as far as information just about you, um, just as like a small taste, they can collect your you know social security number, your religion, your marital status, your genetic information, your disability status, union information, immigration status, race, sexual activity data appeared in two different privacy policies, shockingly enough. Um, there's also some intimate body information, like uh, biometric information. So fingerprints, face prints, voice prints, uh, information about the unique pattern of your iris, for example, things that can be used to identify you about your body. Um, they also collect really everything that you do inside your car. 
Um, so what you say, everywhere you go, how you drive, your driving style, uh, when you pump the brakes, when you bu buckle your seatbelt, when you roll down the window and, you know, every single song you listen to and just everything in between. There's also some records, you know, like I was alluding to before that you might not even know exist because they're being collected by sensors in the car that would be invisible to you and I. Um, like for example, we know from our research about uh, vehicle data hubs, which are kind of like the, as far as we understand the data brokers of the auto industry, they have information like driver fatigue and heart rate for sale. Um, but you might not know that that's a record that's being collected, packaged, and then inevitably sold. So I have, um, you know, a Tesla and Tesla was one of the most egregious ones in your report in terms of data collection. And um, but some of the data, you said that they have a maximalist approach, but are they saying that they can collect this data? They don't necessarily do it now. For example, sexual orientation. I mean, how would they know that? Um, is it by inference because of third party um, you know, applications that it's connected to? Or, or or how are they even collecting this, if at all? Yeah, great question. That was definitely one of the questions that we had ourselves when we were reading the research, like what, but also how, why, but also how, like this doesn't even make sense. Um, and the short answer is we just don't know. And you're absolutely right. Like what, what it means that we're finding in the privacy policy is that they can collect it. Because if you say in your privacy policy that you might collect it, it means you legally can. So that's where we have the concern. But as far as whether they're collecting it and even like the details of um, how they're collecting it and what they're doing with it, we don't have as much transparency about that. I think it's really important to drill down a little bit too into the sort of what they would do with it and and how it gets managed because um I mean I will admit that unlike Alexa I don't drive a Tesla and when I read the report I was like gee I'm glad I didn't replace my 13 year old car this year I feel so much safer um but uh you know even so um there's some of that some of that data I can see being very useful to collect en masse, right? In the sense of knowing what are typical trends in driver fatigue or what, you know, how people typically drive a given vehicle could be useful for shaping the engineering going forward. Um, you know, and, and that ultimately I could see even saving lives or, you know, making more efficient highways. That said, there is no way <laughs> I want anybody spying on how fast I'm driving, driving, or how slow I'm driving, or where I'm going. So it seems to me that's where it sort of comes back to a question of um, sort of what gets shared tied to an individual person, what gets shared collectively, and and who knows about it. So these again are all the same kinds of things we've talked about in other contexts. Do you think that they're applicable in in this case? When we talk about the utility of the data that the car companies collect, I think there's two major things that we have to address. One is that I'm pretty sure that the car companies can use everything and anything, especially because the vast majority of the car companies. So uh, we know for a fact that 22 out of 25, for example, create inferences about you, which is just, you know, data that they can assume based on other information that they have. So when you're in the business of data creation and creating inferences, you probably 
I mean, there's no piece of information in that context that I think would technically be useless because they can, you know, use it to model it to make assumptions like we 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 assume that they're doing that. Uh, but I think your your question is more about like, are we okay with the reasons that they're using? Yeah, and are they are they managing it well, or could they be asked to manage it well, right? So that you know sharing it in aggregate, not sharing it as an individual, you know, driver X drives at this, this rate our, on average, but instead, you know, this, this fleet of this model of car in on average is driven at this rate. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to your point, there are some pieces of data that we just don't want collected by the car companies, um, like your whatever sexual activity data, or for you, as you said, your specific even uh, driving behaviors, you're not comfortable with them collecting that. Um, and then uh, there are other pieces of data that we're totally comfortable with the car maker uh, collecting, especially if, as you said, these uh, pieces of information can help improve the safety either of our driving or for other um, other cars or for the industry at large. Yes, I would totally agree that that's also a good use of uh, data. But what we're finding is that a lot of this information is being used for reasons that are either completely irrelevant to things like safety or just way beyond the necessary scope. Like they don't need, for example, to sell and profit from your personal data. There's no real safety justification for that one. Absolutely not. I, uh, I had an offer, uh, when I started driving my car about getting insurance from Tesla. And the way that they worded it was that based on um, my actual driving record, they would provide me with an insurance that was better tailored and perhaps cheaper than what I was actually paying. Now on the surface, it sounds pretty enticing. You know, maybe I can save a few dollars because I'm not driving that much and I drive in a small radius or whatever. But then when you think about the fact that they are using how hard I brake um, and, you know, whether I make a, a turn fast or, you know, they also have information about where I am driving because of the GPS. So that kind of scared me and made me think, well, you know, actually, I'm, I'll continue to pay the little bit more of a premium uh, on my insurance and not have to have this data shared. So it seems like they are using some of this data to, to sell you services that might seem like a good extension of what they're already selling you. But some of the services, like if they are making inferences, for example, about your sexual orientation, that could get pretty dicey, particularly when you're thinking about not just the US, but other countries in which they sell cars too. How do they navigate that? How do they navigate the differences between, say, U.S. law, where we don't have a national privacy policy, versus you know EU, where there is GDRP, or other countries where, let's say, Saudi Arabia, where um, you know homosexuality is extremely frowned upon, if not illegal? I don't know. I would be very concerned about how um, data is handled uh, in those different countries with the different uh, legislative landscapes. Um, 
one of the reasons we were actually able to gather the degree of detail that we have about the information that's collected and what's done with it is thanks to California's stronger privacy law, the CCPA. Um, we can only assume that the car companies are respecting the laws for whatever country that they're operating in. But based on our research, it does seem like they'll they'll do whatever they can within the within the confines of the law. So then that would apply to, you know, their global markets as well in ways that might be extremely worrying, as you said, especially because at least uh, with what we've learned, especially in the States, is that car companies don't seem to have a problem sharing information with uh, law enforcement based on, you know, not a court order, but most of the privacy policies explicitly said that they would respond to a request. Wow. And that includes things like, I recall reading, that includes things caught on microphones, right? Because, you know, all, all connected cars now come with microphones built in so that you can do voice commands to your car, at least to the entertainment system. So they're recording you listening. Um, and so if you want to have a private conversation, your car is not the place to have it increasingly. It's kind of shocking. Yeah, it's a really scary thought. I mean, just because, like I said, of the the degree of detail, of intimate uh, detailed information that they have about you and all of your movements. And um, we don't know specifically what they'll share, but they do say they'll share and they'll share, share personal uh, private information. So, yeah, it seems like that could be anything. And I imagine that Alexa's question about how, how they handle individual you know, local requirements for privacy handling is not really going to get addressed unless or until somebody finds out that they're doing something wrong in their region, for example, in the EU and sues them. Um, but but still, I mean, it, it's probably another one of these cases like, you know, the tech giants and, and monopoly lawsuits in the EU, right? It's like every now and then there's another there's another suit and there's another payment and the payment is smaller. However large the payment is, it's smaller than the value tech companies are deriving. And I can see the same thing happening here. However big the the fine for breaching privacy laws in the EU, the companies may be looking at it and saying, eh, it's less than we're making on this way of business. So we're going to continue this way of business. I think that's a really great point because it's, you know, we are hoping for, we're kind of pushing for stronger privacy laws that protect people. But ultimately, you know, the GDPR isn't bulletproof and strong privacy laws are only as strong as their enforcement. And we know for a fact that it's just, it's, um, it's very difficult to do, as you said, especially with these very large companies with these very, very large budgets. Let's talk about third party apps. Um, what kinds of data are they collecting from third party apps? And who are the third parties? I, I know, for example, when I, on, on my iPhone, um, when I install an app, one of the first things that comes up is, uh, says, you know, ask, you can ask the app not to track your activity across other apps. So why doesn't that apply here? Great question. I mean, you mean <clears throat> as far as cars connected services, why don't they offer yeah. you with the same options that maybe an app would in regards to yeah. your tracking? Yeah, good question. I think that they they absolutely they absolutely should. I can now see having a conversation with your car every time you get in it to start it up. May I track your location? Right. May I turn on the heating? May I listen to you? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, at least, <laughs> at least that I mean, would um, create some awareness. I mean, now I'm thinking about that. Was it David Hasselhoff that like talking car? Oh yeah. I feel like that's Night been Rider. that's been spliced into a lot of uh, a lot of interviews and conversations that we've done. But it's like, hey, in that case, at least it's a back and forth conversation. You could maybe ask about like where where your information is uh, headed. Um, but no, we know they collect a lot of information from third parties. Uh, we know a little bit about it. Uh, you know, privacy policies usually give you a taste of what they're doing. And then they say like, and so on and so on and et cetera and whatever. Like it's it's just not very detailed. Um, but we know they collect from and share with a lot of the same places. So obviously, you know, SiriusXM, OnStar, their dealers, uh, advertising and research companies, uh, service providers, government and law enforcement, social media, affiliates, and then of course, uh, Apple CarPlay, Android Audio, Alexa, and then, but there's also this, this category from which they collect from, share to, and sometimes even sell, which is just other third parties. Oh, data brokers, you mean? <laughs> Definitely data brokers. I mean, yeah. they're on there. The data brokers are a tough nut to crack. And it's something that um, our privacy not included uh, researcher, Misha, has been has been uh, studying for a long time. It's very interesting. But we have less information about what's shared with data brokers sometimes because it's often um, what they call aggregated anonymous uh, data um, that can be shared and sold. But the problem is there's a lot of privacy researchers that say that there really is no such thing as properly aggregated and anonymized uh, data, especially when you're talking about vehicles and driving patterns and things like um, geolocation data. I mean, there's nothing, I, I, I honestly just don't even understand how that would work. Mm. Yeah, I think that we learned in the Edward Snowden uh episode a decade ago that um you know individual pieces of data may or may not identify somebody but when you start putting different collections of individual pieces of data together you can make a much better picture and draw better inferences yeah yep let's talk about security um because that's also the the, the i guess maybe not the flip side of according to privacy but also perhaps just as important what did you find about um security how well do they encrypt the data for example Security was among one of our biggest concerns with the car companies, which actually really surprised me because I would have thought that because all of this data is a business asset to these large corporations, that they would be more invested in keeping it safe and keeping it protected and keeping it you know, within their possession. But the two biggest red flags we found about um, security is... One, we couldn't confirm whether any of the cars we researched met our minimum security standards, specifically whether the data that your car collects is encrypted on your car. Um, if it's not, of course, that would be a tremendous vulnerability to that sensitive and personal data just kind of floating there. Um, and the other thing that worried us about security is that most of the car companies also received our bad track record uh ding or uh yeah like ding is like a a negative <laughs> exactly mark. yeah exactly like a failed failed criteria mark for uh 
for poor criteria for having like a massive uh, breach or uh, leak or hack just in the past three years. So it smells like an industry that's just completely naive, right? I mean, even the description of like collecting all this data and then what do you what do you do with it strikes me as being engineers saying, "Oh, cool! Look, look what we can do with this." Um, and and you know, I think it's great to have this this report just because it's maybe maybe the beginning of an early wake up call. To say, no, no, <laughs> you you don't get to play with data any more than any other industry does um, when it when it comes at the cost of privacy. I can hope anyway. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because that's definitely a thought that we had while we were reading the privacy policies. It was kind of like, like I really got the impression that they didn't think that they would be read like the degree of disclosure that they had about the different categories of sensitive information that they were collecting was shocking nobody's ever read their user manuals why are they going to read the privacy privacy policies yeah i get the sense that the car companies are a little bit too comfortable with maybe not being looked at from a privacy perspective yeah so hopefully this is the the beginning of a of a different era. I mean, not that I only want them to be savvier, <laughs> savvier about, you know, writing these more tech industry privacy policies that have fancy footwork and ways of obscuring all of the quite frightening things that they're doing. Hopefully they will just be better. Well, hope springs eternal, I guess. Um, so tell us about the the worst brands. I mean, this is not a, the competition of, you know, the best of the best, but I guess this is the queen of the pigs. Who who was the worst, um, who were the worst brands in terms of privacy or security violations? Yeah, first of all, just to say you are right about that. Usually when we publish a product guide, we have a few that are best of, which means they have excellent privacy and uh, security practices. And then we have, you know, say most of the brands that are like a sideways thumb that are like, okay, they're not great. You know, they have a ding here and there. Um, they're not perfect, but, you know, here's some ways you can protect yourself and uh, go on with your day. And then we have the worst category, which is all the products that receive our privacy not included warning label, which is kind of like a, like, like do not buy um, warning, or at least, you know, we don't tell people what to buy and what not to buy, but let's say proceed with caution. But in the case with cars, every single one of them earned the warning label. So just want to stress, first of all, how not normal it is, even in our research with all of these tech products and these apps and you know social media, um, it's not normal for an entire category of products to to fail and get the warning label. Uh, so it is, as you said, just like shades of bad, you know, but some are worse than others. All that being said, I would say probably Nissan was the creepiest. Um, you know, there's different ways of looking at the worst. Like Tesla received all of our dings. That's mostly because they also received the, our um, irresponsible AI ding, which is a very difficult one to apply. But in Tesla's case, we did have, you know, a number of uh, news stories and ongoing investigations that made it possible for us to to apply that one. Um, and then Nissan had all but that one. Um, but the dings that they did receive were kind of worse, like the information that they were collecting, you know, they're the ones who are collecting uh, information about your your 
sexual activity, for example, just felt substantially creepier. And then also the things, you know, that they were doing with that information also felt both, you know, creepier and uh, less relevant, less necessary. Like they are selling inferences about your psychological trends and your uh, intelligence and just profiting from things that seem deeply personal to us. So that was like, not only did they earn the the like data use thing, but it was like, wow, this is an extremely bad example of, of data use. Another thing that I just wanted to quickly point out as far as shades of bad is that, as I said, most of the most of the car companies said in their privacy policies they would willingly share information with law enforcement according to a in response to a request. We don't like that. That's not even close to meeting what would be our standard for like Mozilla's standard for um, how to disclose uh, sensitive personal information to law enforcement, which would be don't do it a b like if if you must by law just give as little as possible anyway hyundai said that they would comply with a request either formal or informal and it struck us that they were going out of their way to say how just how cooperative they're willing to be with uh with the law enforcement so that was another thing that struck us as like particularly bad yeah, I wonder what the definition of informal. You know, I work at the police department. I, I want to keep tabs on, you know, so-and-so who's my neighbor. Is that considered an informal request? Yeah. So now that this episode will prompt a, a run on classic car purchases, you know, it's been it's been a fascinating discussion, but I think it's 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 time to to wrap up. And I'm wondering if um by way of conclusion, do you have any thoughts you can share about how what if any recourse uh, our listeners would have as consumers if if they don't want their automobile to gather certain types of data? Yeah, <laughs> we conducted a, a Reddit AMA a few weeks ago, and the most uh, popular question that we got got asked many times was basically like, "Okay, wow, that's terrible. So how do I opt out? Like, is there a chip I can sort of carve out of my car? Or is there a form I can sign? Or like, what do I do? Like, I'm going to do it, you know, this afternoon. And in that respect, the answer is basically, no, there's there's not much you can do. I mean, if you happen to drive one of the car brands that we researched, or even if you don't, it's worth reading the specific, you know, the individual reviews and um, looking at the tips to protect yourself. And there are some tips in there that will help, you know, mitigate the the massive data collection. But, you know, they might not even be worth it to you, like not using the connected services or not connecting your phone or not downloading the car app. You know, those might be things that you feel are worth it to you to get the utility from the car that you paid for. They may also have safety functions. So at the end of the day, there's not much consumers can do. That is a huge part of the problem. What we're basically encouraging people to do is to get mad about it and uh, speak to their local legislator and help us at Mozilla push for a more robust data privacy law so that we don't have to hold our breath waiting for car companies to come to their senses or do what's right. They'll just 
have to respect our privacy. Uh, so you can go to privacynotincluded.org. We have a, we do have a position, uh, sorry, a petition um, that we're urging people to sign that we want to bring to the car companies, but we are also simultaneously working on a campaign for um, a federal privacy law in the States. That makes sense. All sounds great. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this TechSequences podcast. We are Leslie Daigle and Alexa Rod. You can reach us by email, techsequences at techsequences.org. We'd love to hear from you to know what you thought about this episode or ideas for future episodes. TechSequences, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe through your favorite podcasting service.